stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's Director of Research, Shiraz Mian, to take a look again at the upcoming earnings season. I usually have Shiraz on almost every quarter to talk about what's going on, and last quarter I remember... We thought it was going to be one of the most important earnings seasons in quite some time, but but we were wrong. Maybe this quarter is now going to be one of the most important earnings season. A lot of people think Q2 is going to be terrible, Shiraz. That's all I'm hearing, like, oh, it's going to be awful, but yet there's not that many warnings coming through, at least not what I expected there to be. There's the the usual retailers and some of those guys warning, but that doesn't seem too bad, but maybe you're going to tell me otherwise. And it just doesn't seem like it's all going to be doom and gloom for this quarter, but maybe it will be baked into that guidance that we're going to get. Um, so what does it look like out there on the S&P 500, Shiraz? Uh, yes, you're absolutely right, Tracy. Uh, there is uh, there's no doom and gloom, uh, uh, either in the pre-announcements or even in the, uh, the the estimates and the revisions that the analysts are providing us. Uh, so a lot will be riding on how these management teams frame what they see in their businesses, uh, and this could be the quarter when uh, expectations and the, uh, the, the really uh, negative outlook that uh, a growing segment of the market uh, appears to be kind of banking on, uh, that that comes to fruition. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, it's, it's not in the data yet. Uh, but if it's in the cards, if we are heading into a recession, a big F, obviously, uh, then we have to start seeing that that in, in data, uh, it's not in the macroeconomic data, uh, and it's not in the corporate earnings data, at least not yet. Okay, so what are the industries that we should be looking for as like the ones who will send out the warning then? I mean, we, we lead off with the banks always, but it can't be the banks, is it, who's going to sound the alarm? So the banks touch uh, practically all aspects of the economy uh, on the on the business side as well as the household side. So uh, uh, we have we have some really huge banks, and uh, these management teams uh, do discuss what they see in in uh, in, in credit quality and uh, in all of those related terms. So I worked uh, at the start of the earnings season. Uh, for these guys, the banks, the JP Morgans of the world, uh, to frame the conversation as to what they see uh, in okay. their own expenses, uh, in loan demands, uh, and then on the credit quality front. And I think that will then be uh, the conversation will will get confirmed or otherwise uh, as we get into the uh, the rest of the earnings season. Okay. Should we uh, kind of ignore some of the banks that will warn because mortgage demand has fallen through the floor? Like I've, we've already heard from Wells Fargo a couple days ago that, you know, their mortgage 
business is way, way down. So they were essentially warning on that aspect, but they are one of the biggest on the mortgage side. Should we just kind of acknowledge that the mortgage area is going to be bad with those rates having risen, nobody's doing any refis anymore, that kind of thing, and look at other areas that they're going to be talking about, like the the hurricane that's approaching or whatever it was that Jamie Diamond from JP Morgan sure. said. Um, should we be looking, you know, in other areas other than mortgages? Yes. I think it's it's okay. not so much the housing related part of banking uh, that's that's in question at this stage. Uh, uh, the market, and we are seeing some of that in estimates as well. So uh, the areas on the banking front where we know there are already uh, weakness and problems, uh, in addition to mortgages, uh, uh, the investment banking business has really fallen off a cliff uh, relative to uh, how trends were the last two years. Uh, trading is still okay, uh, but uh, but uh, that's that's slowing down as well. Uh, it's now the core banking. Uh, the core banking, particularly loan demand, uh, had started inching up uh, late last year and at the start of this year. Uh, we will likely see these guys discussing uh, that that has flattened or started decelerating. Uh, there will be some evidence, uh, even though uh, the broader economy and the labor market and the, uh, the, the associated purchasing power with that is still very strong. So I can't imagine credit quality going down, but perhaps some early signs on that front is something we could hear uh, uh, from these management teams as well. And then the general outlook for the economy that they are penciling in in their outlooks will be very interesting as well. Okay. Well, that's definitely something to watch that first two weeks of earnings season then. Because so we'll, we'll get the, the read right away. Um, where is energy in all of this? I distinctly remember from first quarter us talking quite a bit about energy because you and I both said that it was uh, the with the earnings estimates changes that we saw in that quarter, it was going to be one of the best quarters that we could recall in energy with you know record free cash flows. And we had never seen the changes in earnings estimates like we were seeing for first quarter. But now second quarter is the quarter that includes the Ukraine war and the spike in energy prices that occurred in the spring. And so what is it looking like for Q2 if Q1 was that good and it did li live up to those expectations, actually? What are they expecting for Q2 with energy? Uh, the outlook is very, very strong for energy. Uh, so uh, okay. the earnings growth, uh, S&P 500 energy, uh, as of today, is 190% year-over-year wow. growth, revenue growth of 36.8%. Uh, in fact, uh, S&P 500 earnings growth in Q2 as a whole is solely as a result of the energy sector. Uh, if we exclude energy sector, year-over-year uh, -year growth for the remaining 15 ZAC sectors uh, will be negative, uh, down 5.5%. Okay. Uh, so very strong earnings growth for energy in Q2 as well as the back half. 
The trend on the revisions front still remains positive. Uh, okay. For 2022 as a whole, uh, uh, quickly, Tracy, uh, since the beginning of the year, energy sector estimates have increased 74%. The, the, uh, the magnitude and the stability of positive estimate revisions for the energy sector is something I haven't seen uh, in my long association with the sector. And I, you know that I've, uh, I've yeah. followed the space for a while. So right. very impressive, solid, solid outlook for energy. So if that's seeing the positive revisions is there any other sector that's also doing that? Because I remember last quarter for the first quarter, I thought that there were like two other uh, sectors that had some positive earnings revisions going on, but that may not be the case now. I don't know. So, uh, yes, there are some other areas where there's positive revisions. Uh, okay. Transportation has it. Uh more on the airlines front, uh, demand is strong, though, as you know, they are at the receiving end on the, uh, on the fuel front. Uh, yeah. co- construction, believe it or not, has been positive as well. Uh, so is autos. Uh, but the magnitude of positive revisions isn't really comparable to what we are seeing. So in an academic sense, yes, uh, the revisions trend has been positive in these areas, uh, but nowhere near uh, what we are seeing for uh, for for energy. And practically yeah. everyone else is seeing estimates going down. And I would assume one of the biggest decliners in the estimates is, has to be the retail side, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. We we uh, uh, we we park Amazon in retail too. Uh, Okay. Unlike other data vendors that has it in uh, in different areas, uh, but retail has had troubles uh, even uh, outside of Amazon. So yes, uh, retail estimates are down. Uh, discretionary estimates are down. Um, uh, we have aerospace again a problem with uh, a, a Boeing issue. Uh, believe it or not, even utilities estimates uh, have come down. So. Uh, across the board, outside of these uh, uh, a few sectors, estimates have been down uh, uh, for, uh, for for most sectors, including technology and finance. Okay. How bearish are the analysts being? Because I know we've discussed many times in the past when we're looking at earnings about how the analysts are always kind of late to the party and they're l- reluctant to lower you know, earnings estimates just based on, hey, we might be going into a recession, that kind of thing, until it actually is happening and then they lower. So what are we seeing this time around in this quarter? Are are they already pricing in, you know, a bigger slowdown this time? They're not. They are are being true to their nature. Uh, (laughs) If you step back from uh, Q2 and take like a bigger picture view, 2022 and then 2023 and 2024, uh, there's no sign of a recession on the horizon. Uh, When we aggregate uh, the bottom-up estimates for all of these companies and aggregate it to the sector level, uh, there's positive earnings growth this year, positive earnings growth next year and beyond that. Uh, It's not unusual analysts 
uh, are famous. There is, there is empirical and academic studies on this. They are terrible at forecasting these inflection points in the broader economy. So uh, when the economy is in a steady state environment, uh, then they have a good handle on where estimates for the current quarter or next quarter or the next couple of quarters will be. But if we are on the precipice of of a major major directional change in the macroeconomy, uh, then they have no handle on that. And they are reliant on management teams in holding their hand and pointing them in the right direction. We are not there yet. So it could be this yeah. quarter. It could be the September quarter earning season uh, where, uh, where there is this across the board uh, uh, guidance from management teams uh, pointing us in that direction. Uh, from current estimates, uh, uh, you will you could you could never tell uh, that there is even uh, this possibility in the data. Yeah, I feel like it's not really the analyst's uh, fault, so to speak, when uh, you have some companies like in retail where they are seeing the conditions changing pretty quickly. And so no analyst is going to be able to pick it up if it's changing like that quickly. And I'm I'm talking about like Target who reported their earnings, you know, talked about the increase in inventory and then three weeks later came out with another warning, you know, saying, it's, hey, it's worse than what we originally said just three weeks ago. And now recently the same thing happened with RH where they had the warning in their earnings and then not even a month later we're we're out with a second warning and a, a cut to the full year guidance down so i mean if if they're seeing these quick changes and having to come out with these extra warnings then i feel like the um analysts sometimes depending on the industry is going to be kind of flying blindly absolutely absolutely and it, it's it's not it's not possible uh, if you have a sense of how these forecast models are created and how they operate, uh, it's not possible to embed uh, that kind of uh, an economic breakpoint uh, yeah. in those models. Uh, these are these are continuous uh, continuous series of data, and uh, till you see the economy uh, going into or having gone into a downturn. Uh, it will not uh, show up in data. And you're absolutely right. The the speed at which now uh, things shift uh, has uh, has has increased enormously. Uh, and, and we saw that with uh, some of those companies you mentioned. Uh, and uh, we may see uh, this earnings season. The one thing uh, that makes me... Uh, uh, that makes me a little skeptical on the data front, Tracy, is the outlook for margins. We're all okay. uh, familiar with, uh, uh, with with the supply chain issues and, and, and some of the un- other input cost uh, pressures that has, have been with us for a while. Uh, if you tease out the net margins, uh, from current revenue and earnings estimates going forward, like say the next couple of years, uh, uh, it, it appears that the analysts uh, categorically 
believe these pressures to be transitory and, and temporary, and then eventually work themselves out next year. Uh, uh, and that's something I believe uh, we can blame them for, uh, for perhaps being a bit too optimistic on that front. Uh, but on, on the whole, I believe you're, you're right. These are, these are hard things to predict for anyone. Uh, including for uh, for these analysts who uh, who follow these companies. I was reading an article over the weekend in the Wall Street Journal. They uh, track actively managed mutual funds along with Morningstar. I think they use Morningstar's data. And so they were putting out the half-year update and the 12-month update. And they track... Uh, 1,342 actively managed mutual funds, and that excludes like the sector funds and the quant funds and the leverage funds, apparently. And only 32 of those were in the green for the prior 12 months. So going back to last summer and the number one, I know it's kind of shocking. And the number one out of the list was a value dividend fund. So I guess I shouldn't be surprised because that area has been doing pretty well. But um, I I bring this up because I'm wondering what investors should be looking at this earnings season. Should they be looking at these value income type of stocks? Because in that fund, the number one uh, winner so far in the last 12 months, they own stocks like Philip Morris and uh, Gilead. Exxon and General Mills and like Total Energies, which is one of the the French, the French sure. energy company, but they pay a big dividend. Um, should should we, uh, you know, be looking also in these areas? Because it does seem to be working better than obviously, you know, the tech growth type stocks. And uh, it does pay. All, I looked up a whole bunch of those names and the highest yield was Philip Morris. Uh, ticker PM, they're at 5%. They also owned uh, British American Tobacco, which is also a really high yield. I forget what it's at, but I've talked about it on the podcast in the past. Exxon is was in there. They're at 4%. Uh, Gilead now is paying 4.7 dividend yield. Total is at 39 Um, And even General Mills, which some of the top uh, funds in that survey owned, that's at 27 should should investors be kind of focusing on some of these areas? Some of these are kind of staples and big drug and then energy. I think one uh, one takeaway uh, that all of us uh, uh, will will be left with after this downturn is that uh, that the excessive fascination with technology and then a few technology companies was perhaps misplaced. And the market is far, far bigger and broader than just a handful of stocks. Uh, absolutely. Uh, the All long-term investors should have uh, decent amounts of, of exposure to, uh, to, to staples, to, uh, to, to energy, uh, even to utilities. And okay. dividends have always been, uh, uh, over the long term, a very important part of the total return in a in a diversified portfolio. Um, I think uh, I think energy. Uh, there is still uh, some question uh, 
uh, about the long-term estimates. Uh, we have discussed in the past as to how the, the world as a whole is energy deficient on a, on a supply side. If you look ahead, like beyond the current period, uh, it, even if there is or is not a recession, uh, beyond uh, the next 12 to 18 months, uh, we are still left with the issue of where hydrocarbons and fossil fuels are going to come from. Uh, if we have uh, if we have Russia uh, in the penalty box in the long term, so uh, so we have to uh, we have to have these companies uh, incentivized to drill and produce fossil fuels. Uh, and that means more earnings, that means more cash flows, that means bigger, growing, and stable dividends. Uh, so yes, uh, Exxon, Chevron, uh, depending on uh, somebody's uh, risk profile and tolerance for, uh, for volatility, even uh, the services players, the Halliburtons yeah. and the Schlumbergers of the world. So absolutely. I feel like I'm reading a list, like a who's who list from the 1970s or the 1980s when I just read that list. <laughs> I mean, Philip Morris, this is the international division because then there's Altria as well, which is the That's US. Right. But Philip Morris, that would have been like a 70s and 80s play. Exxon, for sure, in the 70s, one of the best performing stocks of the 1970s, actually. Um, Gilead, I think I'm pretty sure they were around back then. That sounds familiar to me. General Mills sure. obviously was. <laughs> I feel like it's like a flashback or something. We're going back to these kind of old style, um, you know, long-term companies that were winners in their field over all those decades. I mean, they, they've all won in some respects. Absolutely. Um, but now, now we're looking for those types of winners, I guess. Yeah, so so a diversified portfolio will be one where you will have the Exxons and the Chevrons and the Johnson and Johnsons and the Philip Morrises of the world, alongside some exposure uh, to the Microsofts and the Nvidia's of the world, uh, yeah. and uh, banking solely on one or the other. Uh, if if you are consciously and deliberately taking that risk, uh, then uh, all power to you. But if you are just looking for diversification and gains in the long run, uh, not shooting for an immediate home run, uh, then you have to go with these winners uh, that, have, uh, that have been survivors uh, and that have a track record and history uh, and dividends are always uh, uh, and should always be a very important part of the uh, uh, of the return expectation. Okay, that's that's some good advice there. Uh, I think a lot of us are are learning the hard way during this bear market to not be overweighted in you know the very hot hottest sectors always because it might not always work out how you expect. That's right. yeah. um, okay. Any any other advice? Anything we should be looking for this earning season that we haven't covered? So the revenue picture is is very strong, uh, Tracy, okay. and it still remains very strong. Uh, part of that, uh, the reason is that uh, revenues increase with inflation. Uh, uh, the right. problem is more uh, the uh, the line items in the context of a, of an income statement. So margins have been under pressure. 
And, and yeah. what to look for is uh, uh, how how these companies frame the outlook for margins. Do they see that as a temporary issue uh, that perhaps lasts a quarter or two, uh, or something that they see has structurally changed in their business, uh, where expenses have increased? Another item uh, that we uh, tend to overlook is that we are coming off of a very long period of very low interest rates, which also benefited margins. That's not going to show up in the Q2 results, but in the long run, I feel analysts are, are giving less credit to the fact that in the future, interest rates will be higher uh, and that should have a negative impact on margins as well. Okay. And what do you see about the beat rate, This the, the actual surprise rate this quarter? It, will it be similar to what we've been seeing, but even with all this uncertainty and the analysts, you know, lowering some estimates going into this quarter already? What, what are the odds looking like for that? So historically, uh, around 70% of companies beat their estimates uh, a little less on the top line, a little more on the bottom line. Uh, these ratios uh, increased significantly during the pandemic uh, because analysts were a little more cautious and it, it, it was hard for them uh, to handicap the numbers. Uh, if we are heading into a period where the economy is slowing, when there are troubles ahead, I would expect those beat, beat rates to come down uh, and for, for, for many companies to be missing estimates uh, uh, because things on, in the macroeconomy and business are changing a lot faster than it's been possible for analysts to adjust the estimates uh, for. Uh, so uh, if, if the bearish views of the economy are correct, then we should expect many companies to miss estimates uh, uh, as opposed to what the trend has been over the last two years. Okay. That's definitely something to watch. A lot of the trader types are always watching that beat or miss type of thing. So that's a Absolutely. big issue. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, it's about to get started here in the next week on this earnings season. So it's going to be another really interesting one, I have a feeling. And a lot of people are going to be tuning in for those guidance outlooks and all of that to really see what's going Absolutely. on out there. Yeah. Okay. Let me recap some of the stocks we've talked about on this episode. So we did mention some of the energies. So Exxon, XOM, Chevron, CVX, Halliburton is HAL. Slumberger is SLB. Those last two are on the services side. All of those stocks have come down quite a bit off of their recent highs, some as much as 20 or 30%. So it uh, could be a buying opportunity in some of those names. We also mentioned uh, the, the back to the 70s and 80s stocks. Philip Morris, PM is that ticker. That's the international one with the 5% yield. Oh, I said Exxon already. Gilead is G-I-L-D. Um, they're trading with a dividend of 4.7% and only at nine times earnings. General Mills, they just had a good earnings report, so they've already gotten theirs out of the way. G-I-S is the ticker there. And the uh, big winner so far in that Wall Street Journal Morningstar survey, Total Energies, T-T-E is the ticker there with a 3.9% dividend and that's the french large oil integrated company only trading at 
four and a half times its forward earnings here with these record earnings expected again this quarter in the energy side. So as always, you want to be sure to subscribe so that you're getting all of our podcasts because there is a lot going on. You can get us on SoundCloud as always and Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify, Amazon Music, just about anywhere you can get podcasts you can get us and be sure to get the value investor podcast as well i do that one every week but be sure to get us somewhere and i'll see you again next week with some more stocks this material is being provided for informational purposes only and nothing herein constitutes investment legal accounting or tax advice or a recommendation to buy sell or hold a security do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal tax or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.